Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nahum Siegel Network, NahumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. And what a week it's been in the political realm, not just on the federal level, not just the typical Trump, Clinton, Michigas, I think at this point we're kind of getting towards that, uh, Hillary, medical issues, uh, Trump and Pence uh, seeming to be able to capitalize and tightening the race, in fact, in several key states, taking a lead, actually a very uh, interesting, well, I'd say actually quite uh, incredible lead in Ohio and Florida, according to some polling. We'll get into that a little bit later. But also primary day this past Tuesday in New York State, a lot of interesting races of note. And yes, that's right. You heard it. Primary day yet again. That is the third primary day of this 2016 year. Now we have three primaries now and headed towards the general election coming up on November 8th, seven weeks away, a little more than seven weeks away. In fact, really, when Yontif is over, everyone, it's going to be two weeks exactly from Silchus Torah until Election Day. So fasten your seatbelts, get ready, and let's talk about politics. Let's going to dive in-depth on a number of issues. We have winners and losers of the primary season of primary here in New York. We also have some pretty interesting theatrics uh, having happened in the New York City Council over BDS. BDS continues to royal the political firmament out there. And when I talk about BDS, once again, boycott, divestment, sanctions, those government entities that are now taking action against it, particularly here in New York State, Kudos to the governor as well as the state senate here in New York State. The state senate passed the Martins-Felder bill back in the beginning of 2016. Unfortunately, the state assembly did not have the courage to go ahead and pass an anti-BDS bill, essentially saying you do business with New York State. We will not do business with you. Governor Cuomo made an executive order out of that Martins-Felder bill and that was essentially protested by a number of organizations on the left. So what happened? The New York City Council, which is generally known as a pretty, let's say, progressive, let's say left-wing entity, body, they decided they were going to take up a, not actually a formal bill that would along the state's lines, but essentially to condemn BDS, to condemn those that boycott Israel. So they were going to go ahead and do that. And that sparked at the hearing last week, uh, well, some pretty theatrical responses, particularly one between David Greenfield, Councilman David Greenfield, one of the uh, member of the city council leadership, and uh, Naturi Karta leader. And I think Greenfield essentially unmasked 
him for the world to see, essentially saying, who do you represent? The guy could not stop yelling. He sat on the floor. It was, I don't even want to say his name because it's just, these guys are so irrelevant. They want to, they want everybody, they dress up and, you know, Lavush and they, uh, you know, Shabbos, they go out there and wear a strimal and it's, uh, in fact, Vice News just did a piece of video on the London Terry Kartonix, uh, Rabbi Beck, it was quite, uh, well, just creative the way they go to protests on Shabbos without a neighbor, of course, and they walk three miles. They wear their protest signs as scarves in order not to, to uh, be Machal Shabbos. Chilo Hashem, they don't care about. Chilo Hashem, not so important. But Chilo Shabbos, obviously, very, very important for them. But leaving the Terry Carter aside, uh, essentially, uh, David Greenfield said, you are uh, you mentally disturbed people. And the fact is that the guy would not stop talking and not stop being disruptive. But that was the BDS hearing went on for several hours. In fact, it was quite comical. I'm not sure, in fact, if some of the members thought it was as comical as I did. I mean... I guess if I wasn't sitting there for hours, I probably would have not found it. it, Well, since I wasn't sitting there for hours, I should say, I probably found it a little bit comical. But let's actually highlight one thing here. Okay, so the city council, New York City Council, passed uh, yesterday a BDS bill, um, condemning BDS, and it's uh, quite – you know, quite impressive that they did so. And they actually did it by a very significant margin. And yet the margin itself was, let's just get that for a second, 40, uh, 40 in favor. That's out of 51. And then four against and six abstentions. And, you know, this had some interesting moments. And I think it's noteworthy for our audience out there to understand some more progressive politicians. And the New York City Council, as I said, dominated by Democrats. There are only three Republicans, 48 uh, Democrats. And there are there's a divide between, let's say, the more progressive wing or the progressive caucus. Uh, that in many ways is allies itself with some and the BDS movement, the boycotting Israel movement is in many ways making common cause with other progressive ideas. But they decided they were going to take up this bill and kudos to them for doing it. Uh, Adam, uh, uh, this was actually sponsored by uh, Andy Cohen, who represents Riverdale in the Bronx um, and a member of the Jewish caucus. And shockingly, you had a member that represents Borough Park who voted against the bill. Now, let, I think a lot of listeners out there know that Councilman David Greenfield and Assemblyman Dove Hikins, not politically the best of friends, don't often agree. But in this case, when both sides contemn Councilman Carlos Menchaca on Twitter and take him to task for voting against this bill. Well, then we can all say that for some reason, Menchaca, who has had flirtations, let's just say, with being with being called anti-Jewish in the past, Dove Heiken says on Twitter, how can you vote against an anti-BDS resolution when you were unclear about it when we spoke? Total fraud, disgrace. So Menchaca made some insensitive Jewish comments a little while back, and 
Hyken decided to take him under his wing appropriately. It was, you know, Dove Hyken has that relationship with with um, set with quite a few of the African American and Latino uh, politicians in the city, and you know, show them the the Jewish community, show them the Hasidic community, the Hamish community, the Orthodox community in Borough Park that Menchaca actually represents a piece of. And he brought him around to different mostos and to different events. And everybody seemed happy, took a lot of pictures. And then he turns around, and now he is voting against this resolution. Doesn't abstain, but votes against it. Now, why am I going so far into this? Because I think that one thing, and I happen to like him a lot as a councilman, but, you know, he's certainly trying to be as progressive as possible and have those progressive uh, uh, credentials. I'm, I'm off Menchaca for a second. I'm moving on to Steve Levin. Uh, Steve Levin, who represents Northern Brooklyn, a very progressive area, Williamsburg, and even the Jews in his, uh, as you know, the Jews in his district, the Hasidic Jews, are not exactly going to take him to task for being, uh, for being pro-Israel. And Steve Levin at the hearing, Steve Levin at the hearing, his, his big question for the BDS supporters were, are you in favor of a two-state solution? Are you willing to acknowledge the fact that Israel has a right to exist. And that was a bridge too far for many of them. And I think that that is, you know, when you when you get some of the BDS supporters on there and you put them on the hook and you say to them, are you willing to accept Israel as a right to exist? And they essentially will punt and they just essentially say no. So when we call BDS anti-Semitic, when we call that movement anti-Semitic, it's because they don't want Israel to exist. It's not that just trying to boycott because of the quote-unquote occupation or the fact the settlements or what specific actions of Israel. It's a fact that Israel itself is a crime. They don't want Israel to exist. So kudos to the city council for doing this. Uh, a, uh, shame on Carlos Menchaca, a councilman who represents Borough Park and has said that he is interested in a closer relationship with his Jewish constituents. But clearly, when it came time for action, he doesn't do. He doesn't come back to action. And I have to say, in New York State, it is gratifying that there are quite a few politicians that are willing to stick their neck out on behalf of our community on a regular basis. Now, let's talk for a second about the primaries. Okay, so you, if you are a you know September thirteenth came around, and if you weren't paying attention, you just missed, in many cases, the ability to choose your next representative, because in many many districts, particularly those in New York City, certain Democratic, heavily Democratic districts, the really general election is kind of academic, because the their, the registration is just so lopsided. And so for state offices, for state assembly, for state senate, and many uh, other, some le- lesser offices, this was primary day, and this was going, this was what decided the election. And we have, and no, not everywhere, quite a few places, this was set up for a, uh, for a, uh, general election in, in November, presidential election, certainly very significant, more significant turnout. And I have to say that it is just too much at this point to expect people to vote every couple weeks, if you will. I mean, it's uh, the big losers, and we've got to go over winners and losers for a second of, of the September 13th primary. The big losers are the voters, I mean, the fact is that we can't. We should be able to have elections 
and consolidate them. I mean, certainly the taxpayers are big losers, that they have to shell out millions of dollars every time in order to have these elections. But we had primaries for president in April 19th. We had primaries for congressional offices in June 28th, and that was a very low turnout affair in most places. And now we've had primaries for state offices in September 13th. And if you look at the results, I mean, you have in many cases, let's just say you're having like 10% turnout or 15% turnout uh, in some of these races. Now, one of the biggest races, and I mentioned it last week, is it was the 97th Assembly District up in Rockland County where – in the first time in a decade, Assemblywoman, sitting Assemblywoman Ellen Jaffe, had a challenge from a uh, not-so-known, a rather political unknown named Thomas Gula. A, uh, I think he had, been a, he had been a candidate for mayor of Airmont and decided to take her on. Uh, he ended up getting heavy support from the Hasidic and the Orthodox community up there and came away with about 3,500 votes. But Ellen Jaffe, to her credit... Uh, took it seriously, took it seriously from the beginning, and mustered 5,600 votes, uh, I think what was the, that was the final number. Uh, quite an impressive uh, uh, 5,869 to 3,224. Now, 5,800 votes, and first of all, it's a huge turnout. Uh, in the uh, that's a huge turnout for a Democratic primary. Uh, I think it was a huge turnout in the firm community. Now, you also see one of the dynamics here, that what is something that goes on that we don't see behind the scenes or many people don't see behind the scenes with regard to these seats in regard to these districts. Ellen Jaffe originally, when she came into office, had almost the entire firm community in her district. I mean, mean, Muncie and New Square and Kaser and all around Wesley Hills, everything was in the single district. In the last redistricting, they split the firm community in Muncie into three different districts. So now you have the Ken Zembrowski has a little bit, and uh, and Ellen Jaffe has a little bit, and the seat now uh, occupied by Carl Brabenek, and I'll get to it in a second. That Aaron Weeder now has won the primary to has actually uh, a, a very more significant number of Orthodox of from from Jews. So they split it up. They split the from community up. Now, look, the only person who signs off on it, and you know, people ask me. You know how this happened or why this happened because they want to know why there can't be a united vote when it comes to these assembly districts. Well, I'm sure Ellen Jaffe went to the to the leadership and at the time uh, Speaker Silver, Sheldon Silver, was the leader at the time and said, "I don't want all these from Jews in my district because they're probably going to end up voting against me. I'm generally not so friendly to their interests. I'm generally not so friendly to the things that they want. And she, indeed, she has been hostile to pretty much everything the from community has been interested, in, particularly and she, you know, on the East Ramapo situation." situation. Uh, like it or not, there have been a number of other things that she's also, she's hostile to the education tax credits. Uh, it, it difficult, difficult uh, politician to approach for our community in general. And she probably said, take most of the from Jews out, leave, leave a little bit in, but that way their political power will be, uh, will be small because the, there's enough from Jews altogether in Muncie, New Square, in, in Rockland County, probably to swing an election uh, significantly. But that's what happened. So they basically, so instead of having six, five, six, seven, ten thousand votes in a single district, they're all split up. And that was obviously done with the blessing of the assembly leadership at the time. 
And uh, it's unfortunately, it's a chabal, it's an unfortunate situation for the community up there is that they really don't have the votes to to take uh, to even with like 75 percent turnout. And I, I think the numbers in New Square, they had about almost 1,300 voters out of 1,500 registered Democrats, maybe 15. So you're talking about a, math, a huge turnout. And they're very upset with uh, their assemblywoman. She has not been friendly. She's been outright hostile on many, many issues to the from community. So when you think about it, y- y- even with a huge voting, uh, she, ma- she because the district is so large and it is so significant, she managed to come out a victor in a very significant way. And you got to have to give credit politically to her for that. Uh, let's just talk about Aaron Weeder for a second. Aaron Weeder, the Rockland County legislator, Chasia Shiyid, and has a very strong victory. He ran two years ago for a state, for a state assembly in the 98th. That's the neighboring uh, assembly district with the, with the uh, balance of the from community in that district. And he, including the villages of, uh, of Kayser and as well, it goes, stretches up to Orange County. In fact, the district is mostly Orange County up into Curious Hall. And it's represented by a Republican called Rabinick currently. Uh, now, Aaron Weeder ran two years ago. He did not win the Democratic primary this time. He ran the, Dem- won the Democratic primary. He also won primaries for the Independence Line, I believe for the Reform Party line. He is on six different lines in order to run this time for – now, he is potentially poised to be a Hasidic Jew uh, in the – New York State Assembly, which would really be something, and to have a seat at the table, particularly with regards to some of the Rockland issues, with regard to a lot of the things that are going on, it would be very significant, in my opinion, that he would do. Um, but you know, you have to give him credit for once again for mobilizing the firm community and be able to do that to win a primary. Uh, and we'll see if that if he's able to. Let's see if Alan Jaffe actually supports him in this race. It'll be interesting to see because on paper she should have to support him. She he's running against the Republican. You would want to see a Democrat win the seat, but perhaps her antipathy towards the from community will be such that she is not going to he- go ahead. So. I would put, unfortunately, in a point on the loser's column, the Rockland County Jewish community. Uh, they went to war with Ellen Jaffe. They lost. Uh, well, it, they are certainly a political force to be reckoned with. With that kind of voter turnout, it is, they might have, they have the ability to certainly swing elections in the past, and they could do that in the future. Uh, hopefully, Ed Day, the Rockland County executive, who has been very hostile to the firm community, uh, yet, another, yet another one who has been hostile, He'll take notice, and hopefully some of the politicians will change the tune. If Ellen Jaffe's you know, good, smart, savvy, she'll extend an olive branch and say, how can I work with you instead of trying to continue the MD and hostility? And I have to say as well is the guy who ran, who the community supported, uh, very unknown, very untested, first time running for any significant office, and did not raise a significant amount of money. So we're going to put them in the losers category. But at the same time, with Aaron Weeder running, potentially they have the ability to go ahead and uh, and you know cut, get something or be uh, get, snatch a victory in this cycle. Uh, another big loser is the Ed Reformer community. Uh, big loser because the those particularly who supported the education tax credit, uh, New Yorkers for Independent Action, a super PAC that was created, challenged a number of sitting assemblymen, assembly, assemblymen and assemblywomen uh, around the state. 
Uh, the only incumbent that I saw that was unseated was Marge Markey in Queens, um, famous for the Markey bill that uh, on on uh, on uh, sexual abuse of minors, and they ran primaries in a number of places in Brooklyn for those who had not been supportive of the education tax credit, and those efforts failed, as well as uh, in a state senate race in the Bronx, Gustavo Rivera. Um, Also, the education reform candidate, um, uh, Michael Lasher, who was a protege of uh, states, uh, of, of, sorry, Attorney General and former state Senator Eric Schneiderman, uh, running in the upper Manhattan seat, uh, upper Manhattan and the west side, uh, Washington Heights, for to replace uh, Senator Espaillat, who now is, is a soon-to-be elected congressman. And uh, he was defeated by uh, a Dominican candidate who is now potentially going to caucus with the IDC, with the Independent Democratic Conference, in the state Senate. Uh, a big win for Jeff Klein, big win for the IDC, and potentially enhancing their power is a bargain chip as the balance of power in the state Senate in Albany as we head into November. And, you know, who control the state Senate is anyone's guess. I think the Republicans have a strong chance um, I think they ha- they will pick up a seat certainly in the or nothing is certain in politics, but they were likely to pick up a seat in the Buffalo area with uh, Chris Jacobs winning his primary, and he is the uh, a countywide official. Donald Trump is going to run very well in Erie County. No question he's going to run well in Buffalo. I think the Republican turnout will be strong, and it's going to be difficult for the Democrats. They're going to lose that seat. Now, what happens in Long Island? What happens elsewhere? We're going to analyze, leave that for a different race. Um, Mike Bloomberg, definitely a loser. He backed Michael Lasher, raised money for him, and uh, couldn't do it. New York Times, probably a loser, I think, overall, because they also backed it. Really, even on the Upper West Side, their influence is not as strong as it used to be, although they did back the winner in the Sheldon silvered lower Manhattan seat. Uh, the winners, as I said, Jeff Klein, big winner uh, out there. Uh, a big winner, Rookie Fryer, in, uh, who is becomes the first woman really in the Orthodox community, an Orthodox woman um, uh, in Brooklyn, in Bar Parker specifically, elected to civil court judge. Very significant. Um, Carl Hasty, big winner. Uh, as I said, his incumbents, his conference retained their seats. He also had a protege win a state senate seat in the northern Bronx and lower Westchester in Mount Vernon. So very significant uh, winner there. Okay, let's move on to this presidential race for a second because I mentioned, um, you know, there's a lot going on. I mean, the uh, the deplorables comments. I mean, Hillary Clinton. You never attack the voters. I mean, there's so much to attack with Donald Trump. Why do you have to attack his supporters? To me, that just doesn't make any sense. And, you know, you just almost sense that, yes, Trump makes huge mistakes. But when Clinton makes mistakes, you, you have – people have such higher expectations for her. People have higher they, – they just say, okay, she's, she's better than that. And it's so crazy when she says these – these, not these. I mean, I think the press also has these expectations that she's, you know, they don't know what to do with Trump, but they know what to do with Clinton, so therefore they pillory her for that, and she deserves it. The basket of deplorables comment is just, it's just silly. It's just silly. Now, I think once you make the comment, you own it. You go ahead and you talk about how there are many things that Donald Trump has done that are deplorable. There are many supporters of Donald Trump who are deplorable. And when they, you ask, and you know, this is for you, Mike Pence, if they ask you out there if David Duke is deplorable, just say yes. I understand. It's not a gotcha game. 
Just say yes. I mean, it's a simple answer. Is David Duke deplorable? Yes, he is. Uh, you're not name-calling? You know, you don't want to say you're going to need name-calling? Well, the guy in the ticket with you is the name-caller. Remember little Marco? Lion Ted? Low Energy Jeb? I mean, that he is a name-caller. But... Yeah, the problem is, is that when you call people this basket of deplorables, it's the it's the whole you have created again this vision of you know the the elites and flyover America. I think that's the new uh, the new word for it. You know that that the elites are just don't care, totally disconnected from everybody else out there in the country, and that they just. They're just so patronizing, and they are just—they just don't get you. And I think that she just keeps reinforcing that image. Indeed, it, you look at some polling that came out yesterday in Ohio. I mean, Bloomberg, uh, Bloomberg Politics had this unbelievable poll that I saw with regard to the divide between white and non-white voters between Trump and Clinton. Clinton leads in Ohio amongst non-white voters, eighty percent to ten percent. It's an incredible number. And amongst that's not that's not African American or Latino, that's all together all non white voters. And amongst white voters, Trump is leading fifty four percent to thirty two percent. That's just a, a a huge number, a huge divide in the country. And that divide seems to be getting worse on a constant basis. Now, the other thing that Clinton has to be worried about is she's not doing well with young voters. Not like Obama did. Obama had huge numbers with regard to uh, with regard to uh, sorry, with regard to younger voters, and just didn't uh, go ahead and and she's just not closing the deal when it comes to young voters. Many of whom were attracted to Sanders were not attracted to her. And well, look, we'll see. I mean, it's anybody's guess. I mean, well, the way I look at it now is, you know, it, it, kind of a basic premise here. And I've said this for a while to a number of people who ask me all the time. You know, yes, the polls are tight, and I think they're going to always going to be tight. I don't think this is ever going to be a 10-point race. Of course, a 10-point race in the polls doesn't mean when it comes down to it, the Electoral College is going to be any different. And I don't think the Electoral College is changing significantly. The Electoral College still favors Clinton significantly, um, particularly because a number of states just seem to be the, – the, the number of states that continue to be fluid, yes, Trump can win <coughs> – Sorry, excuse me, Florida, Ohio, which certainly will swim on that, but he still could still lose, win those and still lose. You know, so the basic thing is the polls have tightened. Clinton is ahead still because you actually, just because you're close in any of these states, you actually have to win the states in order for them to come in your column. Trump can win. There is definitely a path to victory for Donald Trump. There is a path to victory. There's no question he can put it together. And if he does it effectively and he has the discipline to go ahead and do that, he could win. But I still feel sitting here today, seven weeks before the election, that Clinton is probably going to win just because the electoral map favors her. The other thing here is we looked at Hillary Clinton on the sidelines over the last Two days, the pneumonia thing. I think that video is going to come back and haunt her significantly. If I was a voter sitting there and I was kind of ambivalent right now, I, I'm still ambivalent, actually. I would look at that video of her losing her about whatever it was, knees buckled, unable to move, unable to get into the van. I would say, I just can't have that as president. As even if I have tremendous misgivings about Trump, I might turn around and say, ah, she's, she's just not well. And 
you know, the problem as at the same time is she's also not honest because yes, they knew she had pneumonia. Yes. They tried to hide it. Yes. They never, the, the thing is, and I think my wife pointed this out to me and I think it's totally instructive with the Clintons. You can never believe the first thing that they say, or I should say the first thing they say is always not true. They say something, somebody questions it and they find out it's just not true. And it's, it's, it's exactly what it is. I mean, that's the problem all the time, but look at, then Hillary goes to the sidelines for two days. And I think, you know, news cycle wise, she has great days because who's shilling for her. Who is our, her surrogates? Bill Clinton still got a great gift as a communicator, great gift connecting with audiences. And judging from seeing Barack Obama, the president two days ago in Philly, incredible. I have to say, I mean, the guy was on. The guy was money, if you want to talk about it politically. Now, like him or hate him, I am not an Obama fan. But you have to give him credit. I mean, he skewered Trump. I mean, it's just there's the way he talked about it. He says, you know, the guy doesn't pay attention to you if you're middle class. Don't, get, don't, don't be sucked in by this. I mean, he, you know, he won't even – oh, his money line. Donald Trump wouldn't even let you onto his golf course. And, you know, you have to think that a lot of voters are going to, in the end, are going to think about that and think about the fact that, well, maybe Donald Trump, in fact, is not one of us. And, you know, look, we'll see where all this investigative reporting that should have been. Where were all these investigative reporters with regard to Donald Trump during the primaries? That's what's interesting here. Nobody essentially wanted to go ahead and investigate and look into Donald Trump. Nobody did the Apple research. Nobody went ahead and did that. This, all this reporting should have been done months and months ago or could have been done months and months ago, but that's it here for the, us this week. We will speak to you next week here on the Malcolm Siegel network and stay tuned for Jew in the city speaks with Allison Josephs.